Hello, and welcome back to SciSection. I'm your journalist, Amy Stewart, for the SciSection radio show broadcasted on CFMU 93.3 FM radio station. We are here today with Dr. Stephen Theriot, the CEO and Chief Science Officer of Cytophage Technologies. Thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Theriot. You're welcome. Pleasure to be here. So to get us started, give us a little introduction of who you are, your education, and your career background. All right. When I always look back at my career, um, it's always daunting. Uh, I started off as a paramedic. Um, once I was a paramedic, I fell in love with medicine and wanted to become a medical doctor. So I went ahead and went to university. I did my honors degree, and then I kind of fell in love with research. And from there, I ended up doing my master's degree um, and then had a choice whether or not to do an MD or a PhD. And I decided to do my PhD. Uh, and I finished my PhD in molecular virology um, within the National Microbiology Laboratory here in Winnipeg. Um, and what I was doing in my PhD was, again, uh, creating synthetic platforms to deal with some of our most exotic viruses that we had around the world, um, like Ebola or Rift Valley fever, um, and created diagnostic systems for those types of, of diseases. Uh, when I finished my degree, I was hired by the federal government to start a program, which was called the Applied Biosafety Research Program, in which we actually came up with mechanisms to deal with virus infections um, around a pandemic or an endemic. Um, pandemic, again, today is a, a big thing. Um, so all of the stuff that uh, is revolving around sort of dealing with infectious agents uh, around the world. Uh, once I finished uh, that, or once I was working in the government, I came up with a lot of unique um, ideas. And I found that the government wasn't really the best place to have unique ideas to push them forward. So I um, stopped working in the government and I started my own company called Cytophage. And uh, now I'm pushing these ideas that I had in the government uh, forward in my own capacity. That's awesome. I love to hear about your transition from being a, a paramedic and then moving into maybe the medical school direction and then being deterred by research that just shows you all the different directions you can go in just relating to health and medicine. Absolutely. Yeah, absolutely. So you're the creator, like you said, of Cytophage Technologies. So what inspired you to start this company uh, and what exactly do you guys do there? Well, the inspiration came from when I was working in the government, there was always a huge problem with nosocomial transmission in hospitals. Um, and nosocomial transmission is where uh, you get infected at the hospital from an organism that's present in the hospital. And for me, it was very odd that in today's society, we were still catching diseases when we were going for treatment. You know, we have many chemical systems that are used to get rid of organisms like bleach. You know, you would think that bleach would be able to get rid of everything, but in fact, it actually doesn't. It kind of just pushes it around a little bit and then you can get reinfected. So in looking at all of that, um, I was, I was determined to try to figure out a way to actually control biologics. And I always use this term that, um, I like to use biologics to control biologics because if we use chemicals, it's not sort of a natural means, but if we use, let's say a bacteriophage, that's exactly what it was made for. It was made to destroy bacteria and that's from nature. And all we do at cytophage and all I wanted to do was sort of harness that power of the bacteriophage in a way that we can use it for a treatment. Now that comes with many problems. Again, um, we can talk about natural phages and what we do to modify them to ensure that they move forward. But when you're using natural bacteriophage for, for using for treatments, you sometimes are looking for what's called a needle in a haystack. They're very difficult to find. And they're difficult to find because you want to ensure that they have the attributes that you want them to have so they're not going to cause problems later on down the line. And uh, again, that was something that um, I felt passionate about. And uh, again, being a synthetic biologist, 
I had many ideas that we could use and that we could create um, new phage products to actually you know, overcome those inherent issues that we have with natural phages. And I just, I don't, I don't wanna say that natural phages are bad. Um, I do wanna say that they're difficult to find, but when you do find them, they work just as well as the phages that we create as well. And that's very cool. That's a, a very unique problem you wanted to address there. I've never really heard about the dangers of recatching an infection at a hospital. That definitely seems like something we should have addressed by now. But I also like how you have the idea of like targeting natural issues like infections with natural products like bacteriophages and not so much chemicals. I think that's a really good message. Uh, so for my next question, how do the mechanisms of bacteriophages differ from that of antibiotics, making them a better alternative? And is there still a risk for resistance like that we see in antibiotics? So we'll, we'll answer the first question first. So when we're looking at antibiotics, when we're using antibiotics, <clears throat> they're generally a protection mechanism uh, for a bacteria or fungi or something along that lines. And what it's doing is it's protecting itself from that bacteria. Now resistance occurs because that bacteria is also trying to attack and get food. So it will modify or evolve itself to get around that antibiotic. Now, when we're using antibiotics in the sense of natural environments, meaning, you know, a fungi is creating an antibiotic and then the bacteria can't kill it, that you won't see resistance occurring very often because it's a very um, limited scope and you also have um, sort of a limited amount of, of uh, resistances that can occur naturally. However, when we're using antibiotics as humans and using them for mass treatment, we see a huge uptick in the ability of a bacteria to create resistance to that. And we see, we've seen this now for decades. Um, so simply saying that um, you know, using antibiotics continually in this manner is not sustainable. We've actually noticed that and we see this today. Uh, we have very few antibiotics that are new. In fact, I don't think there's very many that are new that are not super toxic as well as new. So there is a huge problem. Uh, we're also running into organisms that are so resistant to the bacteria or the antibiotics that we use that we'll, there's no more treatment. There's no more ability to use antibiotics. So in saying all of that, looking at bacteriophage, there's sort of a, a solution for us in two ways. So when we're using bacteriophage and we use them to treat bacteria, we have two evolving organisms being present at the same time. So I'm gonna say something kind of funny here, but as the bacteria is creating um, protection mechanisms to protect itself from the phages, the phages are producing um, attacking mechanisms that are going to help them get into the bacteria. So when, re when we're talking about resistances, we have to look at sort of the resistances in that sort of capacity. Now, if I jump back and say uh, antibiotics, will see resistance occurring all the time because that antibiotic can't modify or change itself to meet the bacteria, it's only one structure. And that's why we see mass amounts of resistance occurring. When we look at bacteriophages, we have a few things that are to our advantage. One, when we modify the bacteriophages, we can modify them in a way where resistance won't occur, meaning we uh, remove transduction and we remove lysogeny from occurring, which actually removes the ability of that bacteriophage to mutate itself um, to cause a resistance, basically. When we're looking at that, again, it's, it's extremely beneficial. Now, when we can modify them and remove those genes that are actually responsible for that resistance, then we don't see resistance occurring at all. In fact, um, in all of our products, we've tested for resistance for over a year, and we don't see resistance occurring to the bacteria um, or to the bacteriophage in the bacteria. Um, so in saying that, uh, we don't have an issue with resistance, but I will say that uh, in the future, we may have to deal with it because um, bacteriophage are only starting to be used for widespread treatment. 
as opposed to antibiotics, which have been used for widespread treatment for you know decades. Um, so are we going to see something that's going to occur in the future? Um, I don't know. But currently, the science is showing that resistance doesn't really occur at that capacity that antibiotics was occurring because of these inherent sort of uh, mechanisms that bacteriophage can modify themselves against the bacteria. It's exciting to see that this might be a really good prospect for targeting the issue that antibiotics is kind of failing to. Um, and even though you said there might be a chance where resistance could pop up again, it seems like bacteriophages are a lot more like dynamic and you can work with them a lot more versus a lot more static in uh, antibiotics. Uh, so what are some potential applications of bacteriophages and what are you guys hoping to do at Cytophage with them? Oh boy. So this is the thing I love about synthetic biology and I love about bacteriophage is the sky's the limit right now. So for us, um, you know, when I started the company in 2016, I was a human health guy. Um, I really wanted to combat nosocomial infections. And I went straight to the hospital with, you know, bacteriophages for Clostridium difficile, um, MRSA, uh, VRE. So, so these are uh, organisms that are causing a lot of the nosocomial issues that we have in hospitals. Um, and again, they're really bad organisms. You don't want to catch them. So when I was um, first starting the company, I really wanted to work on these organisms. But then reality hit in when I tried to go to a hospital and say, okay, I have this, these phages that can get rid of C. difficile, and now I have to do human trials. And they said, well, yeah, sure, human trials, you look it up, it costs about $40 million. Like, it's just, I'm, I'm throwing out that number. It's a huge number. Um, and for a small biotech company, it was unsurmountable, meaning that it was something that we just couldn't do uh, to prove out phage technology. So what we did um, was, well, it's kind of ironic that it happened. I was having a chat with my neighbor. Um, I live in uh, southern Manitoba, uh, so I live in a rural area, and my next door neighbor is actually a chicken farmer. And we were having a good conversation, and he basically said, well, I'm getting out of the business. I'm no longer going to be a chicken farmer because um, antibiotics can no longer be used uh, prophylactically in our chicken barns, which, again, is a really good thing, but not a good thing when you're trying to protect your animals from disease. Um, and he said the government doesn't have a viable solution. We had a chat. I told him what I was doing and creating phages. And I basically jumped the fence and moved into agriculture and dealing with the animal sector. And the reason I did that was because um, the data that we accumulate with phage um, treatments is immense, meaning I'm treating 15,000 chickens every 30 days. You're seeing a lot of really good data, efficacy data coming out, showing us exactly how we can use bacteriophages productively. The other cool part was, um, I gave him a solution that actually allowed him to keep his chicken, uh, chicken birds or his farms uh, healthy, as opposed to, you know, when he wasn't using antibiotics, sometimes he would be fine, he would have no issues, but other times he would lose in his entire flock. Um, so again, there's, there was issues that have sort of come up with the use of antibiotics that they've been using for such a long time that we won't see with bacteriophage. So that's sort of why I jumped the fence and went into um, the animal market. And honestly, it's been a very good market, meaning that uh, we have a product now for salmonella. Uh, we've tested it. It stops transmission of salmonella over 50% when we give them a very, very high dose of bacteria. So it's a very good treatment. Um, and then we're moving into uh, mastitis for cows. And of course, uh, we're doing a lot of stuff in swine. So that's one aspect of the company. And the reason we're doing that is because, again, we're collecting all of that valuable data that we can use for the regulators to get our products approved for um, other types of use. Now, there's another aspect that we're using bacteriophages for, um, and that stems from my experience, again, working in the government as an infectious disease uh, scientist. 
and seeing that, um, you know, with coronavirus, we have a huge, a huge opportunity, I guess, when we're looking at vaccines, and again, I'm going to jump around a little bit, but when we're using vaccines, the mRNA vaccines, again, are very effective, they produce a nice IgA or IgG response and an IgM response, giving you protection within your blood systems against the disease. Now, this will protect you from lethal disease, but it doesn't protect you from catching the virus or transmitting the virus. So what we did instead with the, the bacteriophages, because we can synthetically manipulate them, we've taken the spike protein of the coronavirus and we put it on the surface of a bacteriophage. So the actual head of that bacteriophage is presenting the spike protein. We've modified the bacteriophage so it resides in your mucosa. And when it resides in your mucosa, we're stimulating the uh, antibody IgA, which actually protects you from catching the virus and transmitting it. Now we're doing animal studies right now and we're getting again, very good results, but we're using a bacteriophage in an entirely different mechanism. We're actually using it as a delivery system to stimulate your immune response. And this has opened up a, a broad range of things that we can do with phage. Um, bacteriophage again and phage display is not new, but because of the modifications we can do for it, it's given us a, a huge advantage in, in developing cures that are um, cheap to grow, non-toxic, meaning again, no issues with toxicity at all and very effective. So um, as, we're, as we're sort of bringing this technology forward, you'll see it in, in, in the next couple of years, um, a lot of people will probably move to being used to using these types of organisms for, um, for vaccine production as opposed to animal viruses. That is some very exciting work you guys are doing there. I think it's going to have a really big impact on the agricultural industry and I mean, the work you're doing with COVID, um, I think that's just amazing that you're able to stop it, not being able to transmit it or even catch the disease. I think that's absolutely the best solution because, I mean, then nobody gets it. That's that's really cool what you guys can do with that and not what I was expecting at all. Very cool. Yeah, it's a, it's a growing project. Um, and we're, again, working with the government to fast track it in the sense to make sure that it's effective. And then once it's effective, we just have to do the rest of the animal work to show that there's no toxicity, which we already know there's no toxicity, uh, but then we can start using it as a treatment. Yeah. And I foresee that this treatment would be used not only like coronavirus, uh, you know, it's petering out now, hopefully it can be used for coronavirus, but our biggest goal is to actually help with flu and creating a universal flu vaccine. And that could be done on this template because I can put eight different epitopes um, on this particular bacteriophage. So that means eight different binding sites for your immune system to respond to, to create antibodies for. That is very exciting, especially with how tricky it is to target the flu. And I mean, the guess that some scientists have to take when they're creating the vaccine. It's very exciting that there's going to be potentially a solution that could just stop it right from the get-go. So for my final question, so as a scientist, a researcher, a teacher, a company owner, what advice would you give to undergraduate students who want to pursue just a career in science? You know, when I have a lot of students that come through um, my company as well as, um, you know, that I, I, I mentor. And what I always tell them is to keep a, keep an open mind. Um, when you're looking at science, you have to be subjective of the science. And I always like to see students that have, you know, a question. And then when they answer that question, they have 10 more questions. And that's what being a scientist is, is having that that excitement behind learning something new and dealing with things that are, uh, you know, absolutely different. But if I can give you some advice as being a scientist, I would say, make sure you think out of the box, 
because if you don't think out of the box, then you're going to be confined by it. And if you're confined by it, then you're not going to come up with anything that's unique or different. You're going to be stuck in your box. Um, and, you know, for, for the best, the other part of that, um, uh, for upcoming students, um, communicate with professors like me or, or business owners like me. I find that a lot of students are very tentative to have that conversation, um, which is, again, not useful for them. And we, as, as, as professionals in the fields, are always open to discussing things with, with people who are upcoming. Um, and just, again, be open and have that discussion and, and be part of it, as, as opposed to being hiding somewhere else and not, not sort of having that discussion. That's some really great advice. And I can see you definitely live by that curiosity. I mean, from what you've described, your career has been like different interests coming up and you're just going to pursue them. And I think that's definitely the way to do it. And I mean, look where you're at now. You're doing some really amazing work. Thank you. Thank you. And I have to agree with the communication aspect, too, because as an undergrad student myself, sometimes it is intimidating to contact your professors, especially if you just want to talk about their work and research. But sometimes that's the best way to find about different directions of where you can go in science. Yep. I, I've, you know, it's, it's funny. I'm a CEO of a company. Um, my schedule is ridiculous, but I will always take 15 minutes out to have a coffee with a student just to discuss science and having a conversation as two individuals is amazing, especially when you uh, have different opinions. That's a very great perspective. And I'm sure students all around are very grateful for that. Well, thank you so much for joining us today, Dr. Terrio. It was amazing to hear about your career and the conception of your company. The work you're doing at Cytophage is so relevant and important, and I'm excited to see what comes next. Thank you. It was a great pleasure to be here. That's it for this week of SciSection. I'm your journalist, Amy Stewart, and make sure to check out our podcast available on global platforms for our latest interviews.